good godly strengths. It's the story of David, Nabal, and Abigail. It's a long chapter, so I won't read every verse, but we'll skim through it, and uh, then we'll get some good practical lessons. Samuel had died. Nation mourned. David mourned. And now David and his men are on the run from Saul, and they're not marauders. They were supported in various ways, and so they come to the large farm of a man named Nabal, not Naboth. Naboth was the one that had the vineyard that Ahab stole and had him killed. This is Nabal. says he had 3,000 sheep, 100 goats, and other such things. That's a lot of livestock. And in those days, that would be considered a wealthy um, land and animal owner. And it says he was during the uh, sheep series, sheep series, that's hard. Sheep shearing season. Say that five times quick. Um, it was a time that they took the wool off the uh, sheep. And it says in verse 3, he was harsh and evil. He was a scoundrel who wouldn't listen to anybody, verse 17. And he got drunk and abused his wife and he insulted David. Um, today, in the vernacular, we'd say he's a jerk. He just doesn't learn. He's impolite. Nobody likes him. He doesn't like anybody. And we're told there's a pun on his name. The name Nabal meant fool. What mother would name a baby boy fool? Hey, fool. And his, I'm sure his friends made fun of him, but he grew up probably with two fists, like the boy named Sue had to defend himself because of his name. Then I introduced to you his wife, Abigail. And it says that she was beautiful and wise, not all beautiful women are wise. Not all wise women are beautiful. She had both. So David then approaches a couple of miles outside the farm, and he sends messengers with a friendly message saying, we're, we're, we're moving around. Can you uh, sell us some food? Now, this wasn't a shakedown. This wasn't a protection racket. He wasn't saying, give it to us or take your head off. There's no threats. And yet it seems that they... Uh, verse 21, that they had somehow protected Nabal because David has a large uh, group of men with him ready to fight. Uh, didn't want to fight Nabal, but um, they had protected him, verse 21. And the custom was then that you'd give gifts. You know, various customs around the world are like that. When I was a boy, I remember my dad took me out to a little very poor house out in the country in South Texas and he says, this is a man that used to work with me when I grew up. His name is Ernesto, he's Mexican. And he says, we're good friends. He says, but Kirk, when we go in there, their custom is they always will bring you something to eat and drink. Maybe just a cookie and a Coke. Take it. They may be poor, but you'd insult them if you don't take it. Other customs like that around the world, you take it. I, got, I had a friend from Nigeria, and his custom was when you came to visit him, he would He'd give you some tea and, uh, you know, something to eat. And I remember I went and visited him, and he, he looked mean, but he had a heart of gold. And he, I sat down, I said, oh, you Sufu. He says, wait, wait, first we eat, here. And he sat there and waited me for, to sip this, what he called tea. Jeff, it had about that much tea, and then he poured in concentrated milk to the top, and it was lukewarm. Yeah, yeah. Would you drink that? No. Me, I didn't want, want to drink this. I was looking for some place to pour it. I, I used to have a friend who was Ugandan. The, the 
well, this was in Edinburgh, so I sipped it. And he smiled. He says, now we can talk, and we hugged. So customs are like that. So here David sends some food and, you know, sends a gift. And then um, it's kind of like, as one of our members can attest, uh, there's a custom at various all-night stores to give donuts to policemen. Why? They want the policemen to hang around. It keeps the owners safe. And so he's generous to Nabal. And verse 10 says, Nabal sends back an insult, calls David a renegade rebel against Saul, and then he insults David's men and implies they're marauders, they're pirates, they're robbers, thieves. This is a gang. And they weren't like that. And so how does David respond? He's highly offended. You're going to talk to me like that? Nobody likes to be insulted. You know, it's an, if it's an insult that you deserve, that's one thing. But if you don't, it hurts your pride. So he loses his temper. David was just another man. Best of men are just men at best. So he loses his temper. And so he says to the men, men, get your swords, get on the horses, we march. We're going after Nabal and his men. And we're tough men of war. Get ready, get your swords out. Now he's acting like what he was accused of being. Are we ever accused of being something that we're not and then we overreact in a way and we deserve that insult? Think about it. So they're on the march, but Abigail, who's evidently not at home, hears about this from a ranch hand, verse 18, and she acts quickly like, "Uh uh-oh, I better stop David somehow. So it says that she takes a huge supply of food with her, more than Nabal would have given, even if he had been generous to David. So she says to her, handmaidens and ranch hands, quick, pack up all these grapes and loaves of bread and all this and, and put them on the back of mules and off we go. Maybe David will take this as a gift and not come in here and kill us all. But she didn't tell Nabal. So she sneaks away, verse 20, and notice how she responds when she comes up to David. She approaches him very humbly. She bows down. She compliments him. You are God's man. You will be the king. And she apologizes for Nabal. You know, we have to learn how to apologize, not just for ourselves, but for our spouse or someone else. And say, you know, he won't, but I'll apologize for him. I'm sorry, you know, that this all happened. So she did that. And so verse 26, she pleads with David, don't take revenge. And offers him this present, verse 27, and says that God himself will avenge David one day on Nabal. So There's a lesson there. Uh, We just appeal it up to God and say, Lord, I didn't deserve this. I'm going to put that person in your hands and you uh, do what you will. Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so she says, remember me at that time. Verse 32, David heeds her words. (laughs) He calms down. He was angry. He wanted to go and cut Nabal's head off. And now she, he listens to the voice of reason. He's probably humbled by this, like, you know, probably said to one of his men, maybe Joab, you know what, she's right. And here I am acting like a bloodthirsty pirate. And so he thanks her for stopping him from committing this great evil. And then he thanks God and he accepts the food and the men are fed. Meanwhile, as they used to say in the cowboy movies, meanwhile, back at the ranch, what about Nabal? He hadn't heard about this, so he has a banquet for his men. Verse 36, in keeping with his sordid 
character. He gets drunk and he starts bragging and boasting as people that get drunk tend to do. They lose inhibitions and they think they can whip anybody and so forth. And um, Abigail wisely waits until the next day to say anything. Notice she's very wise. She's not talking to him when he's drunk because he knows, she knows what he'll do. What will he do if she tells him, by the way, I gave all this to David? He's probably going to beat her up. And she probably had done that before. So he, she wisely waits till the next day to say anything. There's a time and a place for everything. And then when Abigail tells him what, she, what he did, what she did, it says that he, he, his heart became heart. He, evidently, he had a stroke, and he didn't die immediately. He dies 10 days later. Uh, he had high blood pressure, and if you know anything about that, you don't lose your temper. You don't get extra stressed. You can bring on a stroke or a heart attack. Well, evidently, he flew off the handle and brought on a stroke, what they used to call apoplexy. Meanwhile, word gets back to David about that. In verse 39, he sees God's hands. He put it in God's hands. He says, well, God now took care of wicked Nabal. And then he looks at Abigail twice and says, you know, she acted very wisely toward me and toward Nabal. And she's beautiful and godly. She's an available widow. So he proposes marriage to her and she accepts you see, in some parts of the world, they don't wait long after being widowed. Uh, I've known several that get remarried within one year of the passing of their spouse. But then here we see David's weakness come out. He also takes another woman to be a wife, verse 43, Ahinoam. And then what about that other wife, Michael, that he had earned by slaying Goliath, the daughter of Saul, Saul, verse 44, took that wife away and gave her to someone else. So again, we see the weaknesses of people like David, David collecting these wives. Okay, here are our lessons on the story. Number one, Abigail is by and large a good godly example. I know that uh, women will have Bible studies and often concentrate on some of the godly women in the Bible, like Mary, Sarah, uh, Esther, have any of you ladies ever been to a Bible study where they studied Abigail? Worth pondering. She acted wisely, as, as David had been doing with Saul. Remember, he had two opportunities to kill Saul, but he said, no, he's the Lord's anointed. And so what wisdom recognizes wisdom. Verse 3, again, she's wise and beautiful, a rare combination. Now, she's wise, not just smart. There's a difference. I have known men and women <clears throat> very smart, no wisdom. Why? What's the first step of wisdom? Someone tell me. Fear of the Lord. And here's a woman that was wise, therefore she feared the Lord. She was a Proverbs 31 woman. And uh, she's a good example for women as were Sarah, Mary, and many others in the Bible. And yet... She was married to a very unwise and ungodly man. It's like an old country song. She's a good-hearted woman in love with a good-timing man. And here she is godly and married to an ungodly person, mismatched. Um, remember we mentioned a few weeks ago about how the Jewish men were not to marry non-Jewish women. But they, these were both Jewish, but... Um, 
And the Bible does address this. Now, I don't want to get off on a tangent. Sometimes it's two unbelievers, one of them gets saved. Maybe that's what, the, what, it, what it was here. If she was godly, she would not have married this guy. Um, but however it was, she was not a good match. She was very good, and she, he was equally bad. And, um, but yet, that didn't drag her down. Uh, I've known couples where a godly woman married to an ungodly man, but it's like she has to swim harder so he, she doesn't get drowned by this man, and we see that with Abigail. In spite of this bad husband, she was a godly woman. Perhaps she had been matched to Nabal by her parents when she was young, because that was the custom then, and that sometimes happens today. So she wonders, what should she do? Well, what should a woman today do if she's married to someone like Nabal? Imitate Abigail and be wise and godly. Next, Abigail took a risk in going out to David. She knew that David was godly, but she had heard, he's angry. She, he might even attack me for all I know, and plus the servants. He's in a rage. You know, when you go up to someone that's lost his temper and is already threatening people, You've got to be very wise. Sometimes the better part of wisdom is to stay away from that person. So she, But she didn't. She took a risk. And there's another godly characteristic. She was courageous. She was brave. She realized David was about to do something very evil. And so what would stop him from losing control and taking her by force and killing the servants? She trusted in God and did the right thing. And that sometimes means we have to do the right thing and take risks. So she brings a peace offering. It's not a bribe. Um, now Solomon had not written Proverbs yet, but Proverbs 21.4 says, a gift pacifies anger. Another proverb there says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Put those into practice sometime. Maybe at work or something like that. Now it's a different thing for policemen. You have to show your authority, but other times... A soft answer to someone. I remember I was having a street meeting at, uh, at the English Derby. I was witnessing with London City Mission and a group called Gypsies for Christ, and I was preaching to about 200 people, and a man came charging, violent, about to attack me. And the other <laughs> preacher said, we'll, we'll encircle, we'll protect you. I said, look, this isn't rugby. Let the guy come. As soon as the guy came about 10 feet away, I just gave him a soft answer. I said, hi, I'm Kurt Daniel." What's your name? Just spoke very softly to the man, and he calmed down. And I says, is there a problem? And he said, yeah. And then he, he told us the problem, and we all tried to help him out. A soft answer sometimes can turn away wrath. I say sometimes. Postmen will say sometimes you can calm down an angry dog. Other dogs you have to run from and jump up on a car. So here she comes with the peace offering, and probably speaking a soft answer. She compliments David, not flattery. And this is a good example for a godly spouse dealing with an ungodly, angry spouse. A soft answer turns away wrath. She was humble, says she bowed down before David. She didn't insult David. Verse 41, she was content even to wash his feet. Remember back then they wore sandals and so it would be covered with dirt and all sorts of other filth. It takes humility like the Lord Jesus did. And she apologizes. Though it was Nabal's fault, the two become one, and it takes godly wisdom for the innocent spouse to confess on behalf of the guilty one. Another good example for her. 
but she proved it with a gift. And there's a lesson there. When we apologize to someone, let's say we lost a temper or something like that, maybe told a lie, it's up to us to not only apologize, but to prove it, and sometimes with a gift. And so she does that here. Uh, it's up to us to prove it so the person says, I know now you really are sorry. And she proved it. Was she insubordinate to her husband? Well, the Bible says wives should submit and obey their husbands, but there are exceptions, like if the husband commands her to do something ungodly, immoral or illegal, or forbids something contrary to the law of God, but uh, she acted wisely. This was a good example. Um, or what if a spouse puts the children in serious danger? That wife needs to protect the children from a drunk, abusive father. And so there, you have to compare a lot of scripture principles there. So she actually acted very wisely put, to protect Nabal, which is something a spouse should do. Not just the husband for the wife, but she was protecting him. But no, she didn't speak with him when he was drunk. And there's a good example. I learned that in the open air. Jeff, when I'd preach at the mound in Edinburgh, I would gauge how much has this guy had to drink. If you're just a beer, you can talk. When they're really drunk as a Scottish skunk, you can't talk with them much. I'm sure Josh has learned that in the open air. When they're drunk, just give them a gospel track and say, excuse me, and then go talk to someone else. So she didn't talk with Nabal, we have to be wise. I've seen people try to talk to a drunk person. You're not going to get anywhere when they're really drunk. Policemen learn that. When they're drunk or high on drugs, you can't reason. But then she did tell him later because wives shouldn't keep such secrets from the husband. You know, Nabal reacted wrongly, but I've told you, whenever we see a bad example, ask, what should that person have done instead? He should have thanked her and said, you know, I got mad and threatened him and you really are something, Abigail. You did the right thing. He didn't. He gets very angry, loses his temper. And then he ends up, ends up dying. This stroke and then he died a few days later. And he died and God took care of him. And God got her out of that bad marriage and she ended up marrying a very godly man instead. And there are other good examples from this woman, Abigail, in this chapter. Okay, there's our first lesson. She's a good example. Number two, David at first acted wrongly and then acted rightly. He came in peace, verse 6 to Nabal. And notice he gives three shaloms. Shalom, shalom, blessing, blessing, blessing. By the way, we too should bless people. I remember this last week talking to one of the um, nurses doing that test on me to find that kidney stone. And actually there were three of them. And I said, thank you. You must really find satisfaction in your work. And I said, God bless you, honey. They don't often hear that. Let's pass a blessing on to someone and thank them. Parents should bless their children, the Bible says. Maybe even a letter or an email to someone saying, well, God bless you. And maybe something a little more. David was also right in politely asking Nabal for food without giving threats. He wasn't demanding and saying, I'm the next king, you better give it to me. No, he politely asked Nabal. We should politely ask people things. He could have simply taken what he wanted, but he didn't. He was not a man of that kind of violence. And Nabal should have given him something, but he was greedy. 
And again, what's the opposite of greedy? Generosity. He should have said, David, what's mine is yours. Come on in. Get a servant to wash your feet. You need grapes? Bring them grapes. Pomegranates, bread? Bring them pomegranates and bread. He didn't. Nabal was not only a fool, he was greedy. In contrast to other generous people in the Bible, he had more than enough. He was a rich man. Sometimes the wealthiest are the greediest, and sometimes the poorest are the most generous. Isn't that interesting? I talked to a, an old friend of mine that was a, the master bellman at the Marriott uh, Hotel in New Orleans, and I said, tell me about tips. He said, doctors are the worst tippers that I ever see. They're so rich, I'm lucky to get a dollar out of these guys. And I said, what are the best tippers? He said, blue-collar workers that are here on a plumber's convention, they know the value of a dollar, and they're very generous. That's interesting. He had noticed that after years. So Nabal was... He had more than enough, but he was greedy. We should be generous. And then, on the other hand, David was very wrong in his reaction to Nabal's insult. His pride was insulted. He probably said, he speaks to me? Me, I'm David. I killed Goliath. I'm going to be the next king. You speak to me like that? His pride was hurt, and so he puts on this uh, machismo, as the Mexicans say, this phony masculinity. Men, we have to learn how to take an insult because there are some people that will really insult us, friends, enemies, strangers. We need to be a real man and take it. Proverbs sixteen thirty two: He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he who takes his city. So David should have said, I'm a man, I can take that, even if it's not true, or even if it is true, I'm man enough to take an insult. But not on this occasion. He was insulted. What should he have done? Again, he was a bad example. What should he have done? He should have walked away from this and said, we don't need this. We'll just go some other farm. God's got someone else for us. He didn't do that. That's his weakness. Bible says there's a time to be angry and a time not to be angry. And David got him confused and he was angry when he should not have been angry. Even though Nabal was a fool, that didn't mean David should have acted like this. We need to have the wisdom to tell the difference between righteous indignation and unrighteous. God is always righteously angry. We need to be angry at the things God is angry at. And if someone insults us, we... By the way, here's another passive, a peaceful answer to someone that insults us. You can say, well, you might be right. And there's a lot more you could insult me on that is true. And then don't lose your temper. David probably convinced himself that he was right to get mad. You remember how the book of Jonah? You know, Jonah, why are you pouting and angry? I have a right to be like this. No, you don't have a right to be like that. But... When you lose your temper, you lose your reasoning power. Emotions take over. It took Abigail's wisdom, humility, and she was not losing her temper. And that's what it took to calm David down. A a peaceful woman can really calm down an angry man sometimes. If we lose our temper, apologize. As soon as possible, mean it and prove it if necessary. And admit you were wrong. Remember when David was confronted by Nathan, what did he say? I have sinned. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He said, I have sinned. So when we lose our temple, we need to admit that we are wrong and apologize to whomever we lost our temper with. 
our children, our spouse, our parents, our workmates. And then David later did admit he was right. Whenever you lose your temper, don't do anything rash in that frame of mind. Don't spank your children when you're flying off the handle. That's not the time. Chill out, cool down, wait. And you don't take it out on them. Otherwise, you're not just spanking them, you're beating them. So learn how to handle anger. We have a handout in the lobby somewhere on what the Bible says about anger. So David refrained from vengeance against Saul, but now he's been on revenge against Nabal. Here we see David's weakness. We flip-flop like he did. He flip-flopped. He didn't kill Saul when he could have. Now he wants to kill Nabal when he shouldn't have. We're inconsistent too. We'd say, well, I wouldn't lie to that person, but we lie to someone else, like on taxes. You know, it's tax season. We need to be consistent. Maybe Abigail's words reminded David about Saul and touched his conscience. Like you're going to kill Nabal, David? Are you going to kill anybody and everybody that steps on your toes? I imagine he thought, she has a point there. I didn't kill Saul. Maybe I shouldn't kill Nabal, even though he deserves something. David was also too loose with his oaths. He took an oath in verse 22. It's like those people in the book of Acts, 40 men that took an oath that they won't eat or drink until they've killed Saul. They later became Paul. I always wondered what happened after so many days do they go back to eating and drinking because they didn't kill him. But look out for rash oaths and vows. And David took one here. I swear I'm going to kill that man Nabal. I'm sure he later repented of that. Be, bre- be careful, brethren. I did a whole lesson on vows and oaths. We have a, we have a handout out there as well. And it is written by um, a very godly Calvinist writer. Study what it says. It was wrong to him to take the vow. It would have been wrong to keep that vow. Some vows should not be kept like you're going to kill someone or get vengeance. Wrong to take the vow. You've been doubly wrong to keep it. Weigh it against Scripture. And later when he was in the right spirit, he probably then vowed not to kill Nabal. It takes wisdom to know the difference. So David heeded the words of Abigail, but Nabal didn't heed Abigail's advice. Again, the difference between David with his weaknesses still was a godly man. Nabal, there's nothing good said about this man named Fool. Why? Maybe I'm reading between the lines of Hebrew, but some men are too proud to listen to a woman, especially their wife. Uh, If Saeed was here, he'd probably remember this story. Uh, He grew up in uh, a certain country, and there was the Shah of Iran, who was boastful and arrogant, and someone interviewed him and said, you know, a certain woman, I think prime minister or senator, gave you advice, and he says... I don't listen to anybody's advice, not even a woman, and he insulted, especially not a woman. But a godly man will listen to the advice of a woman like David did. Some men won't listen to their wives and they imitate Nabal. They're fools. A wise man should listen to his wife. Do you remember another example of a man that listened to his wife and said, you were right? Anybody remember? A man named Manoah and his wife, Mrs. Manoah, Parents of Samson. Remember, God had appeared and said, you're going to have a son. 
And the next thing you know, the angel or God disappears and Manoah says, we're going to die. We've seen God. And then the wife says, uh, if he was going to kill us, why did he say we're going to have a baby? He's not going to kill us, Manoah. Oh, you're right. He listened to his wife. Men, listen to your wives. Wives, listen to your husbands. A wise man will listen to a wise woman. Now, this, isn't, this is not at all saying that Abigail put David in his place or anything like that. She was not a feminist, nor is it saying that women should be preachers, church elders, and so forth. She's just a good example here. But a Christian man would be wise to listen to a godly woman's wisdom, whether it's hers, his mother, his wife, his daughter, or just another godly woman. He had no relation with Abigail, but he listened to her. But Nabal did not. Men... Are there times you're more like David or like Nabal? Ooh. So David thanks Abigail for her advice, for her advice and for warning him. And then it says he thanked God. Lord, thank you for sending me that woman before I did something I certainly would have been uh, sorry for. God can use many means to prevent us from doing evil. Providence, friends, conscience, the Holy Spirit reminding us of some something or a realization of the consequences. I've heard about men that are driving down the street intent on going to a certain house and committing immorality, and guess what? They have a flat tire. And they say, Lord, thank you for the flat tire. I was about to do something that I would have been ashamed of. Genesis 20, verse 5, it was I that kept you from sinning against me. That's what God said. Have you ever thanked God for restraining grace? We should. And ask God to restrain the sin in you and opportunities around you. And then, like what David did with Saul, David committed Nabal to God, and then he takes the food and rides away. And God dealt with this wicked man, Nabal. Remember, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We need to learn that. And it specifically says, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. God is behind all death. Um... The Lord gives, the Lord takes away life. And um, that's what he did here. The Lord struck him and he died. But sometimes God does it indirectly and sometimes very directly and very obviously. When we commit that other person to God, God might step in in a very dramatic way. This was dramatic. And I bet the other servants said, oh, this is the hand of God. I got time for another short story. When I lived in Scotland, I briefly knew a rather controversial Scottish preacher in Glasgow. Do you remember Jack Glass? He was the Scottish equivalent of Ian Paisley, very thunderous. He told me a story that when he was pastoring, a man in the church rebelled against him and said, I've had enough of you, and I'm challenging you right here and now. That May God either strike you dead or me strike. And Jack Glass said, no, don't ever ask God to do something like this, because I know you're in the wrong. A few days later, the man who was working in the underground sewer decided to take time off for lunch and poked his head up, and guess what? Truck cut his head off. And the people in the church said, that's God. Just like Nabal, God might intervene in a very dramatic way. So be careful. That could have happened to David if he had gone after Nabal, something violent directly from God could have happened. Here's another lesson. Nabal thought that he got away with all of this, sent David packing. 
He was rich, drunk, bragging to his men. I'll show to him who's boss. He can't talk to me like that. <laughs> Give me another drink. You've seen people brag like that, braggadocious. And then the next day, pow, stroke, and he died soon after. God might strike anyone of us dead very soon after we think we're riding high and getting away with something. God humbled David, and then he vindicated and avenged David. Lesson there is one day God will vindicate and avenge all of his people. When? Second coming. Second Thessalonians 1. It's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Third lesson. David showed his weaknesses. Though he was a man after God's own heart, only Jesus was perfect. So we see some of David's weaknesses. He flew off the handle. He lost his temper. But then he restrained himself. This wasn't his major weakness. Anybody can lose his temper. That's not an excuse. That's just reality. Parents need to know how to teach their children not to lose their temper and tell them how and how to apologize. And though he listened to Abigail and married her later, he thereby revealed another weakness, collecting wives. Remember I preached on generational sins a few years ago? This sin gets passed on down to what son? Solomon, Shlomo, how many wives? 300, where did he get that proclivity? Dad did it, why can't I? David should have repented this and stopped collecting these wives. Verse 44, evidently Saul had already given his first wife to Michael to somebody else. So David says, well, I guess I'm free to get back to collecting wives, even though in 2 Samuel 3 it says he wanted to get her back. Michael and then Abigail and now Ahinoam. Later, 2 Samuel 3 says he marries Maacah, Hagith, Abital, and Iglah. And 2 Samuel 5.13 says even more that are not named. And then later... Bathsheba thinks that he's a real man, but this was his weakness, just like with Samson and with Solomon. Now, remember we looked at this earlier in another lesson about uh, polygamy, and um, this, this was a, a weakness. He collected wives. It wasn't polyandry. He, women weren't collecting husbands. He was collecting wives, and it was wrong. God never approved of that. Have you ever heard it put like this? When Adam was lonely, God took out only one rib, not 10 of them or two of them. It's only one. Deuteronomy 17, 17 talks about future kings. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. David, have you forgotten Deuteronomy? 1 Timothy 3, 2, an elder must be, quote, the husband of one wife. Even common sense would tell you that it's neither wise nor right. Would any of you women want to be sharing your husband with several other wives? No. It would be jealousy, fighting. It's evil. Even common sense would say that. And imagine the confusion of the children. Of course, children are confused when there's divorce and multiple remarriages after that. Okay, conclude. Here we see David's real weakness, like Samson and Solomon, and that would later get him into big trouble. God prevented him from going too far in this episode with Nabal, but later on, he got deeper and his real weakness came out. He should have nipped it in the bud. He was wrong to marry Abigail, even though she was very godly. Look at it from her point of view. That was a weakness for her to marry. She should have said, 
you're already married, David. I'm not going to be wife number five or whatever it was. We need to find out what our major weakness is. And as Barney Fife used to say, nip it in the bud, Ange. Find out what it is before it gets too bad and gets the better of you. Find out your, what your weakness is. And there are many other lessons we can learn about. Bad Nabal, mostly good David, and mostly good Abigail. Remember I've said, when you see a person, find out how are they a good example and a bad example. May we be good examples to others, especially children. Let's pray. Fathers, we've looked at this interesting event in David's life. We see he was not perfect and we know that we are not perfect either. Help us to imitate David in his good points, Abigail in her good points, avoid their bad points, and especially avoid being like Nabal. Help us especially imitate the Lord Jesus, who was altogether good and godly. In Jesus' name, amen.